So welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction. This is your host, Dr. G, and our music is written and produced by Mike Sullivan. So today we're going to be talking about a case that I was involved back in 2017 in Athens County, Ohio, and it included the rescue of many, many dogs from a hoarding situation. So here with us today is Mary Beth Brown, the former chief dog warden of Athens County, and that's who we worked with during this case. So thank you for joining us. Um, so can you tell us uh, what was kind of what was your position? What was your duties as a dog warden? What did you do for the county? So if it had anything to do with animals, it, it fell in my lap. So I was the I was the shelter director. I was the chief dog warden. So I enforced I enforced the laws regarding animals. Um, so I would go out and capture stray dogs, respond to complaints about aggressive dogs. Um, I'd come back in and take care of the dogs in the shelter and take, take care of um, making sure the operations were up to snuff in the shelter. And then um, invariably, because I had been a humane agent for many years, the humane cases came my way because they had never had anybody there that could, could enforce the humane laws also. So the case that we're going to be talking about today, uh, basically is a hoarding case and just kind of to give some background to, to people listening, we want to talk about kind of like the definition of a hoarder. So hoarders are, are people that have more animals than they can take care of. So it's not a matter of how many they have is their ability to take care of them. So you can have somebody with 15 dogs that takes excellent care of them and gets some preventive care and veterinary care. And that's not a hoarder. Whereas you can have somebody with just five animals that they live in filthy environments. They're sick. They're not being cared for properly. So they would fit as a hoarder. So there are three types of hoarders. We have what's called an overwhelmed caregiver, which is somebody that gets a lot of animals and doesn't want to have a lot of animals, but doesn't want anything bad to happen to them. So they kind of get stuck and they're willing to accept help. But in the meantime, they have all these animals and they end up in a situation where the animals are not being taken care of. Then we have the rescuer hoarders, which are more of a problem. Usually the law needs to get involved because they accumulate animals and some of them seek to accumulate these animals and they feel that they're the only ones that can take care of the animals. And then finally, we have exploiter hoarders, which are the ones that have a bunch of animals and then like the name say, they exploit them. So they either sell them for profit or they use them just to... Uh, make themselves look good because of the work they're trying to do with them. Uh, the the animals are suffering because somebody is trying to do something for themselves and use the animals for it. So this particular case, uh, when when it began, the concern was more as far as this lady having these animals and she was selling some dogs and they were sick and the uh, people were complaining about them being sick. So at that point, I don't know necessarily that she, that we knew that she was a hoarder, but the Athens County Humane Society reached out to us, to the rascal unit to say that they wanted us to come in and do a spay clinic at her house because she had said that she had about 15 dogs or so that needed to be fixed. 
um, and they wanted us to come over to her house. Now, that was all the information that we had. So prior to our involvement with her, did, did you guys hear anything about her situation? Uh, were you called to her house? Do you recall you know, any issues that, that we were having with her? We did not get any calls in the neighborhood. So her dogs, her dogs were confined inside the house. Um, she owned the house. There was a school next door. So the, you know, the kids playing at the school are fairly noisy. It would cover up any sounds of dogs barking in the house. And her house was split in half and, and her son and his wife lived on, on the other half of it. So the community there did not complain about her. Um, there had been complaints from people who had purchased a puppy from her off Craigslist that the, the puppy was sick and then they had made complaints over the years. So she was, she was a known figure in the community, but um, I think, I don't think there had ever been any prosecution for a humane case in the county. It is, Athens County is actually the, the poorest county in Ohio. So there's very limited resources when it comes to the animals, not, not limited in people that are caring there. It's, there are many amazing people there that really cared about helping the animals, but I think they just, just stopped complaining about her. They just, they, everybody knew that, that she had probably too many animals and that these puppies were being sold that, that weren't healthy, but nobody thought they could do anything. So. Right. And the, so the primary concern was really not as much for she has too many animals. It was for she's selling dogs and these dogs are just sick. Is that right? That, right. So the question was, oh, is there, is there a lemon law for puppies that we can right. enforce? And, um, but it, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck a little bit that, it, you know, this is not adding up. I think there's, there's more of a problem. And I, I think that, I think that the Humane Society also felt that there was more of a problem, which was, was where they brought you in. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know, we, I always call it the, the rule of times two. So whenever there's a concern about a lot of animals and there's a number given, it, it's always double that number. And any anything further that happens, it just keeps doubling and doubling. So the, Kind of fast forwarding then to the day of the spay clinic. So again, we were told that there were about maybe 15 dogs that were her dogs. And we have a, the rascal unit has a limit that we need to have at least 30 animals to have a full clinic. So the Humane Society said, well, we'll just get some shelter animals or something like that just to pad it up so that we have a full clinic because the goal was to have us go and park at her house. So we go there that day, planning on doing about 15, 20 plus a few shelter animals. So we're prepared to have 30 surgeries. And we get to a point where we're running out of supplies because there's way more than 30 surgeries. And then we're at number surgery number 39 out of only 15 dogs. And that last dog that came in... So we're getting all, all of these dogs, right? And, and they, they smell like pee, they smell like poop, and their hair is matted, and they just look horrible. So we know that something's not quite right. But this last little dog comes in, 
and he just looks drugged up and tired. And we look at him and we realize, wait a minute, we just neutered this dog a few hours ago. So this woman has no clue how many animals she has or who she has because she just sent the same dog back outside to get neutered that had been neutered a few hours before. And that's one of the things that you see with hoarders is that they have so many animals that they have no idea who they had. Another thing that I remember from the case was the fact that she was sending these animals out and she didn't even have names for them. She didn't have ages. She didn't have any idea about anything about these animals. So that's when I called you and said, hey, come in here. We need to do something about it. And I wrote a report basically with what I found that day with those animals and recommended uh, a search warrant for the house and getting the, the health department involved. So once... Once I talked to you and I gave you that information, then what was what was the process from your side um, at that point? So, um, so I, I I had a couple of people come to me and say, "Hey, you know, there's always been concerns here. There's a lot of history here, um, and, uh, and 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 we're really concerned. There's been reports of." puppies being sold on Craigslist that were ill, um, reports of her coming to the local five and dime store to buy dog food for, for, for dogs that were sick. And, um, and we want to do something and we don't know what to do. So um, then I got your report and, and that had a lot of value to me based on your experience and your training and, and, um, talking about the medical conditions that were untreated that some of these dogs presented with. So, um, so I tried to, I tried to, to talk to her some, I, she would only meet me outside. I couldn't get in the house. I couldn't see any, any of the dogs or any signs of dogs. So now we were getting late in the year. There was some snow on the ground. There were, there were no paw prints in her yard whatsoever. Um, she was she was very dirty so i could hear the dogs barking in the house so this was so we started about middle of october I continued collecting information um i had just a year or two before dealt with a large-scale rescue with an, helping another county out and um they had some of the large national humane groups come in with, with semites that could, that could haul a hundred dogs in there. And um, I was trying to, to get them to agree to work with us and, and they were going to come down and help. And then they, they, they just backed out. So we were, we were on our own. So at that point I knew, um, I knew I was going to need some help and I had, had to work pretty hard. We had a, um, we had a garage area that, um, that housed equipment and that equipment wasn't there anymore. So we, uh, we cleaned out that area. There was a gas line in, in that area. So we installed a gas heater in there so that it would be warm. And we started, we started collecting crates and things so that we would, we would have ways to, um, to house all of these dogs. So those were, that was our first steps. And then, so we got a little closer. Then December 1st is when 
dog licenses can begin to be renewed. So we talked to, to her about licensing her dogs and she told me how many she had. I think she told me she had 20 or 21. And, um, and this is after we had been to her place and we knew that she had at least 39, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so a dog warden can, can technically impound any dog that's not licensed. So you can, you could go to the owner's property and take an unlicensed dog. Now you would have to, it would have to be something that you knew about. So so I recorded her telling me that she, you know, well, yeah, I have, you know, 20 dogs. And so then I talked to her about licensing them and she, or I think she came in and at one point she licensed like three of them. So, um, so now I had a little bit of evidence that she had dogs there that were unlicensed and um, just, I was, because that's a, a misdemeanor, I was, hesitant to to get a search warrant on a on a minor misdemeanor offense so um there was more concern about their care so i spoke with i spoke with her family members and one of them ad admitted that there were that there were a lot of dogs in there and that they had actually insulated the house so that they didn't hear those dogs or even worse the smell was coming from there so that helped add to our case so um so then I, I went to talk to her again and um I could I could just barely see through the window and I could see the dogs and I could see the filth in the house and then when she stepped outside she was she was just covered i mean she was barefoot she stood in the snow and she just she had poop all over her feet it was and you could just it, the smell was just coming out the door typically the smells aren't as bad in in december with the cold but mm -hmm. this was you would have thought this was a, a july day so um and then we we talked we talked some more about it I asked her about um, medications that her dogs had been on and she just, she couldn't even keep a coherent sentence about that. So it was, it was clear that she'd never followed up with the medications that you had prescribed for the dogs when they were there in October. So we, we put that all together and um, I was able to go to the court the court of common pleas and ask for a search warrant. So they granted me the search warrant and um, some of that was also dependent on, um, and I, ne I needed the help. So we picked a day that worked with your schedule and you were really generous about <laughs> volunteering your time to help with all these dogs. So, um, so, so we, we picked the magic day um, after I waited till after the holidays. And then, um, so we went in beginning of January, I think it was January 10th. Yep. And um, I had I had volunteers. I had served on the State Dog Wardens Association. So I reached out to dog wardens I knew around the state that had a lot of experience working with these human cases. I also, um, I also reached out to, to suppliers, companies like, like Merck that had vaccines and 
um, and medical supplies that, that we would need. And, and they were able to help us by, by that date. Um, so people came down and helped. We had, had our supplies there, got the search warrant and, um, and, and went in. So it took, took cooperation with the health department, the fire department, uh, emergency management, the commissioner's office, the sheriff's department, their detectives were particularly helpful. Um, they routinely collected a large amount of evidence that they presented in the courts. So um, they went over the case with me over and over and over and helped me decide what evidence to collect so that we would have successful prosecution. So um, we went in and we, we, we attempted to test for ammonia, but the ammonia levels were so high in there. We just, we really couldn't even get a reading. It was so bad. Um, we, uh, the floors were just like, you could like literally just ski. Actually, did, did you slip at one point and have to catch yourself? I don't remember slipping, but it was really, it was really nasty. So kind of backing up to that. So then the day of the, of serving the warrant, we mm -hmm. have like the rascal truck is outside ready to do examinations on all these animals. And then the, the sheriff is there to help serve the warrant. Uh, we were there and then all of these rescues are there to kind of help with the manpower to deal with it. So I remember he knocks on the door to serve the warrant and it took her a while to come out, but she became really irate to the point that she broke her glass door and glass was shattered everywhere. And the sheriff told her, um, there's glass on the floor, be careful because you're going to step on the glass. And she's like, I don't give a shit. I, I don't care about that. And like, you could, you could definitely tell that her state of mind was not quite right whether it be an elderly person with a mental health problem or even potentially the ammonia level causing some degree of dysfunction in her, in her brain. But yeah, so we finally were able to go inside. She threw a few things at us. And then finally, um, I believe was EMS outside. Like, did they take her to evaluate her? I believe her son of, eventually took her in his car. She, she had, um, she had some respiratory illness. I don't know if it was quite pneumonia, but she definitely had some respiratory illness and, and they wanted to treat her and she, I mean, and she was filthy. So, um, she needed, she needed medical care for herself. And chronic exposure to, to high ammonia levels will cause damage to the respiratory tract. It causes a lot of damage to the trachea and to the lungs. So, you know, we talk about these hoarders and we get concerned about the, the state of the animals and the health of the animals, but we got to remember the fact that this is a human being living in that filthy environment with a condition that is harming her physically and she needs medical care. Right. So, and I know while we were serving the warrant and collecting the animals, we started, um, we started timing how long we were in there and nobody stayed in there for more than. 20 minutes at the most. And you, you really couldn't. We, I took the temperature in the house and um, she had gas heaters around the whole house that were turned on high. And then there was just so much fecal matter it had encrusted on all the controls. 
So you couldn't turn them off. Yeah. And took the temperature upstairs in the house and it was 104 degrees. So and this is during a winter's day, like a January day right. in Ohio. Um, so we couldn't turn these heaters off. It was excessively hot. There was the, uh, a basically ammonia gas. From so the fire chief came over and he shut the gas line off outside the house. And that, so, that helped come trickling down a little bit. Yeah. Well, and then the other issue was that she was not just uh, hoarding animals. She was also hoarding objects. Like we walked in and it was difficult between all the feces on the floor that, like you said, making it really slippery. But then every surface had clutter, like the sink was full of clutter. And then everything was kind of like tiny little pathways to get throughout the house because everything was like floor to ceiling with all sorts of stuff and some and some kind of interesting things that were in her house like she had some interesting antiques i remember seeing some like elvis stuff and just some really cool old things that were just trash because they were in that environment but she clearly had been accumulating a ton of stuff for for a long period of time um, and then all the all the dogs, I mean, the majority of the dogs were just small dogs and just all these dogs barking and and walking around and tracking poop all over the place. Um, so, yeah, so we we all went inside and kind of did a walkthrough of it. Um, and there were some some dogs that were loose, but then there were some dogs that were in cages as well. Right. Like some dogs that maybe she had not been taken care of. She had cages upstairs and downstairs. She just had, and the cages were stacked on top of other cages. And then the dogs that were running loose, um, they were literally running up over top and underneath things. So they would climb up chairs and on top of a dining room table that was there and then around behind it. Um, upstairs, they, they had it. <laughs> They had chewed a hole through the mattress and they were literally living inside the mattress. So, um, and what was interesting to me was that, so there's her, her bedroom with this mattress that's chewed up with dogs living inside it and, and poop everywhere. And then um, there was a flat screen TV with a direct TV box hooked up to it. So, Somebody came in and installed cable service in those conditions right. and, and didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, the uh, and we took pictures. I mean, we took pictures for evidence of everything that we saw in the house, but the mattresses literally had volcano type structures, like mountains of feces right in the center of it that that was not days that was months probably years of poop on poop on poop on poop like almost the dogs were trying to keep it contained by pooping on a mattress and keeping it into that the poop had been there for so long that flies had hatched out of it and then there was so much fly poop like on the windowsills that the poop had crusted on the windows so much that you couldn't even open or shut a window. 
And so it's just, it's, it's just amazing that somebody was living in that situation. Like from, from what I remember, there wasn't anywhere really for her to sleep or to take a shower. Like the bathroom was completely cluttered up. Um, and the, in the, in the main floor, there was a tiny like windowsill mattress, like something that somebody would sit to read. Um, and I think that that's kind of where she was sleeping because that was the only clean area was just this tiny, probably like two by six mattress by a window that that was the only place that she could literally just sit without having to sit on feces or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and the dogs were not, some of the dogs were skinny, so it doesn't look like either they were able to fight for the food or she was not feeding everybody properly, but most of the dogs were not too skinny. So she was getting food somehow, somewhere to them, but the overall, the overall care of the dogs was poor. Like when, you know, so uh moving forward a little bit so we do the walkthrough take pictures of the whole situation and everything and then we start bringing dogs one by one and start cataloging them and numbering them uh and then doing photographs which forensic photographs you take five different views of every dog just to show what they look like show their body condition and then we do um, close-up pictures of any problems that they have and as they're coming out they're numbering them and labeling them just so that we can have their um their number on the picture and we're bringing dogs and then we get to dog number 40 and then we get to dog number 60 and then we get to dog number 80 and then we round up at a hundred dogs so she yeah. had a hundred dogs inside of that house living with her like it's it's hard to believe that that lady was living in there with 100 dogs you can imagine the the filth that a handful of dogs will do if you don't take them outside like if you if you're working all day and you come home late and your dogs are not well potty trained and you come home and you have two three piles of poop maybe 100 dogs that she's not taking outside because I mean, how could she how could she take care of of these dogs well, it's funny that you talk about the rule of two because I remember preparing to um, to go forward with the search warrant and I thought, well, okay, so 39, 40 dogs, but they were spayed and neutered. So surely you know, maybe, maybe we'll get 50, but there's the numbers had to have, have cut down a little bit. And um, I'm like, there's no way that there's a hundred dogs. I think, you know, we're going to plan for 50 mm -hmm. and I should have never said the number 100 because that's exactly what we ended up with. Yep. <laughs> I threw it out there like a dare. And yep. And it, it, I said, you manifested it. <laughs> I did. I did. So I learned my lesson. Never, never use numbers. Just go <laughs> in and <laughs> take what you get. But so we got the dogs out, we processed them, we examined them, we vaccinated them and uh, treated medical conditions, uh, gave them medication for fleas and ticks because they, even in December and January, they had, they had fleas and problems from the fleas. Uh, and there were some dogs that, that were injured by other dogs. There was one particular dog that we'll talk a little bit more about later, but that had 
his left side of his face was ripped off by another dog, probably during a fight. Um, so all of this gets done. So then there were different groups that came down to help with moving the animals over and that kind of stuff. So um, there were some counties that did help take some of the, most of the dogs ended up at Athens County, right, for adoption. And then some of the dogs ended up in some, some other counties. Like who else came in to, to help out? So the Lincoln County Dog Warden's office came down with several people. Um, Franklin County Animal Care and Control sent several vans down. Um, Delaware County Humane Society sent a couple people to help. Um, Capillary Humane Society sent some supplies. Um, I think they're Columbus Humane now. Um, mm -hmm. And um, Jackson County sent a truckload of food up to help us. Um, I know I'm forgetting so many people helped. It's, I know I'm probably forgetting some. Fairfield County sent a couple of people down to help. Yeah, because I mean, 100 dogs, nobody. But he is really prepared for for dealing with that many dogs but but you guys were able to kind of do some big like kind of like adoption events and that kind of stuff and we're able to get it adopted but before we get to that point though what is the what is the process so you get the animals out of her house and then we know what's happening so how does the legal process move forward at that point so I impounded a hundred dogs and, and some other pieces of evidence, such as the unused medication that you had prescribed that was sitting in a refrigerator, things like that. Um, but the courts have to agree that, that there was a crime and that I was correct in taking the dogs from someone. So just because I'm a county official and I'm sworn in to enforce these laws doesn't mean I can just say, you know what? I'm taking them from you. And that, that protects people from unjust actions or somebody who just says, you know what, I don't like you and I can take your animals. Okay. So, um, so then what I did was I went, to, I went back to the courts and I requested a bond hearing. And the bond hearing is to, um, to establish that I had probable cause to do what I did. And that there, there actually were some elements of a crime of cruelty, animal cruelty, and inhumane care. Um, and um, it also establishes, can she financially care for these animals? So um, if the owner wants the animals back and is, and is going to plead not guilty to the charges, they, um, the court can say, that's fine, but you would, to own 100 dogs, you would be spending... X number of dollars to care for these animals. So you need to deposit a bond to pay for the care of the animals. So um, she asked for a continuance on that. So we had the bond hearing, she asked for a continuance and then she came back and she couldn't, she could not pay for the bond. So um, at that point, the court awarded the animals to the shelter. So then the shelter became the owner of those animals because she was unable to care for them, to prove that she could care for them and pay for that. 
So then at what, what happened then as far as the, the court itself, like how did the, the prosecution of this crime go and what was the end result and who all was involved in it? She had an attorney assigned to her because she, she had no income and um, she was, she was very angry and she, she pled not guilty and we, we had a case and then um, she, she finally agreed to, um, to settle the case and accept a guilty charge. So we asked for um, that. We asked for the five years probation, which is the maximum you could ask for on that. Um, so then we asked to be able to inspect the property. We, she asked if she could keep one dog. She kept trying to bargain for more. We said one. Um, so she was allowed to keep the one dog that had the injuries to his face. Um, then, and she had to obey all laws. So she had to have a dog license for that dog every year. She had to care for him humanely and keep up his vet care. She had to allow us to, to examine the dog, examine the property to make sure she didn't take any more animals in. Um, and she also had to undergo psychological counseling. And so that, that was, that was uh, the psychological counseling was imparted by the court, correct? By the court. Okay. The problem with that is that's, despite it, it being listed in the penalty section for that law, it's very rare for the courts to, to actually do that. So they didn't have a very good program. She was difficult to get a hold of. And so they kept going round and round and round trying, trying to get her to, to come in for counseling. So did she ever show up for the counseling that you know that, of? That I, I don't know. Um, because she did have to come back to the court on a regular basis, right? Like as part of her probation? She did, yeah. So she, would, she had to report to our probation officer. Um, she also, her house was condemned and she had to meet certain standards. Um, and that was by the health department, right? The Athens County Health Department? Yeah. Yes. So um, they had not been able to get into the house until I got the search warrant. And then they were able to come in the house to help me. Mm -hmm. And they saw the conditions and, and condemned the house. So um, I did speak with the health commissioner just, just recently. And, and he said that, um, that she still calls him and yells at him. And then she'll leave a message where she's yelling the whole time. And then she'll call back and she'll be very polite and she will apologize. And then she will, she will plead to him to, to let her back in the house but um but she can't she can't understand what needs to happen like how how the house needs cleaned up she'll clean up like two feet square of the home but then everything around it is just filthy she can't understand to clean the clean the poop off the window sills and clean the clutter out there uh, a local company actually put two large dumpsters in her yard to fill up and she would she would go in and take maybe a handful of things. She never, 
She never filled a single dumpster, yet she could probably fill up six or more with all the clutter in her house. Right. And this is, I mean, this is 2017 plus poop that's still sitting there. Like, <laughs> it's not even adding up. This is still all that. It just kind of shows the importance of mental health care for these people right because that's one of the that's one of the issues that i that i have with the way the legal system is right now and that i'm hopeful that it's going to move forward is that these are individuals with a mental health condition a mental health problem and animal hoarding has near 100% recidivism meaning that they are very likely to do it again and these probations okay so she gets 5 years that so she cannot have animals legally First of all, who is paying attention to make sure that she doesn't have any animals. But second, after those five years, she's free to do whatever, whatever she wants. But we can see in this particular case that she has a house that is not in living conditions and she doesn't see that. She thinks that it's okay for her to go back and live in there. So clearly, mentally, she is not okay. So... She has been she has been somewhat failed by the system in that the animals were, were removed, and that's really good for those animals who are probably living excellent lives in the new homes that they went to where they're not having to fight for food and stuff. But the individual that created the whole problem is still very, very much so able to do it again. Um, and just and just her in, in general, like she has a home that she cannot live in because it's just just such a disaster so and the five years is it's should be, it's going to be up about this year right like it was in 2018 that the court case occurred correct yeah yeah so it so we're coming close to in a in a few months she would potentially be able to start owning more animals now that doesn't the court case doesn't change anything as far as the how since the pub the health department knows about it is that right correct yeah so the health department condemned the house through an order of the board of health and until she meets that order the conditions of that order then they, they will not lift it and is there is there like a like a time frame like is there a point where they're like well if you don't do it by this time then that's it it's it's shut down like it, it could potentially just basically go on forever right yeah. So, so what was, so people have an idea, I guess, you know, I know that a lot of people listening are probably thinking, well, you were told in August that there was this problem and then you didn't go there until October to the clinic. And then you did the clinic in October, but then you didn't do anything until January. And it feels like, you know, oh, well, all these months are passing and nothing is happening, even though things are happening. But it's a process that takes a lot of time and a lot of people involved. It's not something that you can just call, make a few phone calls and then get everybody there and, and get it taken care of. How, how long was it from the day that we, that we went in and removed the animals until the, the court case was settled? Um, it took more than 30 days to, to get the case to court. So, and that is a very long time to take care of a hundred animals. Plus, I mean, we would, at any given time, we would have anywhere from 20 to 30 animals in the shelter. 
So, um, yeah, and that's what needs to be understood too is that it's not, these dogs were not your only concern. The shelter, the dog pound at any given time is going to have a bunch of dogs that are in need of care and, and home. I work 14 to 16 hour days every, every day through that time. Cause I might've taken one day off. Um, I paid a teenager that lived down the road money to come over. The school bus would drop her off at my driveway and she would go up and she would play with my dogs and cats for a while. And so then when I came home, at least they, they'd been out and they had somebody who'd loved on them for a while. And but yeah, so I mean, it, it's th these these are really big cases and they just take a lot of a lot of time a lot of effort and they cost a lot of money and there's just a lot of you know all these things that people need to be aware of of what happens when somebody is is hoarding animals they are um they are very mentally taxing so you know think about Think about that new puppy you got, or well, right now I have I have an old dog that he was a stray that I rescued. Um, he's coming on 15 year old, and uh, and he has a little bit of sundowners, so he's pacing in circles around me right now, and it's the noise on the floors is really annoying. In relationship to the the love and companionship he's given me for almost 15 years now, I'll you know I'll take it, and and I and I still love him, but that feeling of, of annoyance as they chew things up or they pee on the floor and you have to clean it up. And you're like, you know what? Not today. Today I'm tired. I have a headache. I've got a lot to do at work and, and you just peed on the floor and now I have to clean it up. So take that. And all of a sudden you become the owner of a hundred new dogs to you. They're new to you. They're not bonded to you. So you have to develop that relationship with them. They're, they're frightened. So you're, you're trying to soothe them and find ways to, to make them happy and keep them clean. And these dogs all had health issues. <laughs> we were talking earlier. I trimmed every single nail. So a hundred dogs, I did 1800 nails. So again, these, these, these dogs were afraid, but they also could hardly stand up because these nails were, right. were curling into their pads. So I might just do one or two nails and give them a cookie and, and, and put them back and then another two nails. And so this, this went on, I don't know, probably, probably took two weeks to do all of their nails, but I got all of their nails trimmed. Um, and then I came back and did them again. So when they get that long, you give them two or three days and the, the quicks have receded enough so you can trim them again and actually make, make some progress. So, but it, it is, it is so immensely overwhelming and it's so exhausting to just keep cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. Um, so we would pretty much, we would pretty, pretty much finish everything. And then the, the dogs would have eaten food in their fresh crates and then they'd poop again or pee again. So then, we would take them out and we would clean the crate again. And then maybe we would have a, a few hours break where everybody was good. And then, then we would have to clean again. So um, to have all the normal everyday concerns in life, um, even while well, it was January, you get snowstorms and the roads are bad and it takes a long time to get into the shelter. So it takes a piece of your heart that 
that you can never get back the the care and the love that you give those those animals to think to think how much suffering they went through because there's not an animal that lives in my house that that suffers like that I, I I couldn't see that happen to them and um to see to see so many of them in that condition is um it, it really does break your heart and you you never forget it now I think I can't even number how many cases you've you've been on now you have to you have to do things to kind of feed your soul so you can get up and do it again right well and you have to look at I I tell my staff for instance that you have to be a forward thinker so you have to go into a neglect case not looking at what has happened looking at what you're doing from for them now right so we get to this to her house and we see all these animals that have been in this horrible situation for however many years and we know that they came from that and we examine and evaluate that but we don't look at the sadness we look at hey we are getting these animals out of here and we're getting them to other places these dogs are going to get a bath that they're probably not going to appreciate and the nail trims that they're not going to appreciate, but they're going to, they're going to hopefully learn to be a dog because these dogs don't know how to be dogs. Like some of those dogs were acting like they were feral dogs because they're not getting that care of an attention that they should. So, you know, that's the, that's the way to kind of go on to the next day, go on to the next case is be able to say, Hey, we went in and there was something horrible happening, but we made it better. And these animals have a, have a better life. Hopefully something can be done with her, with the owner, so that she can get help and that so that we we help the animals and then we help the community in general. Because what, what's happening to those animals affects the community. Like you said, I mean, it affected you guys. It affected the other groups that became involved. It affects my team because they're seeing that there are a lot of individuals. It affects the people that are on social media reading about it, that get sad and depressed about what they're seeing. And they think that, there's no hope for humanity. Like it, it affects animal cruelty affects the community in general. So anytime that we can help with a cruelty or neglect case, we're helping the animal and we're helping the community as well. Uh, you know, everybody that, that is affected by it, that it's involved. So, so the happy endings to that was that um, some of the dogs went to other shelters and the shelters were, were able to adopt them out out of, out of all the dogs that stayed at the County shelter, we adopted out hundred percent of them. Nice. So um, we, we started, we called it our, um, our adoxathon because they were, um, they were dachshund terrier mixes. And, um, and we had, so we just started that way and, and started adopting them. And, and there are a lot of really great stories back of, of how well the dogs were doing in their new homes. So that was, that was really rewarding. It was rewarding handling the dogs and having them going from, from feral to where you could pick them up and, and they would give you a kiss or they would snuggle or they would turn and play bow at you. So, I, you know, I still remember that we had, um, we had these, these little pens that were knee high that were inside a, a garage area that, that we were heating and um and we put a little bit of bedding in the pens with them and and the dogs started to play they were somewhere clean they were somewhere warm they were somewhere safe and 
And I, I still remember the first time the dogs played in those puppy play pens. It was really exciting. And that is so, and that is so amazing to see because you know that these dogs have no idea how to be a dog. And then all of a sudden they're discovering themselves and discovering what life, the life of a dog should be. The being cared for, being fed, being loved and, and puppy playtime. So that's, that's awesome. That's just awesome. So when I was doing my, my studies in, in forensic psychology, I was really interested in hoarding just because again, it is a community problem and it's a people problem. And there's, It, it is a legal issue because it is animal cruelty and it is illegal, but something has to, something has to change. And for, you know, a lot of people will say, how, how do you do that? How can somebody do that to an animal? And they don't understand that these, these hoarders think that they're doing good for their animals. And one of the, there are different, what are called theories of personality, which explain why people do what they do. And a very common theory is what's called attachment theory, in which normally a person is missing or lacking love and attention at an early age. And then they, they grow up and they're still kind of having that, that sense of need. And some people will get married, have kids, and then they get that, that sense of love and attention from those kids. But then the kids grow up and move away and they're by themselves. And all of a sudden they're left alone again. And that's where these animals come and fill the void, especially because these animals are not leaving. They're, they're there. It's not like they're going to grow up and get married and, and leave and have kids of their own. They stay with them. Um, and they're so fulfilled by them that they just continue to accumulate more and more animals. But then having a lot of animals doesn't mean that you're just going to let things go. Uh, I know people that have multiple animals. Uh, I know people that have multiple cats that in other situations, it would be hoarding and it would be filthy, but these are individuals that have the means to, and the, and the time to keep them clean and to vet them all and take care of them all. So, so they're in good, in a good situation. So when do you get to that point? And I think there's a theory of personality that I learned about called learned helplessness, which is where you kind of have the same problem happening every day over and over and over in which you get to that point that you just give up, right? So you have two dogs pooping. Okay, that's manageable. But then you have 10 dogs pooping at the same time. At what point do you just say, I can't keep up. I can't get ahead. And you just let it ha happen until one day there's a mound, a mountain of poop on a mattress and you're sleeping in a little couch in your living room because the dogs have taken over everything, right? Like there, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a process, but it is, it is something that, that someone with these mental health problems cannot help. They're not doing it on purpose. They don't set up to be filthy they just get stuck in this cycle and and it's and it needs somebody it needs the intervention of you know the animal control to take care of the animals and then the public health department but it also needs the intervention of mental health professionals to 
to help do something about it. So what I would hope is for, you know, in our future, and hopefully not a too distant future, for animal hoarding to be treated almost like kind of like an addiction problem where they're addicted to having animals to, because they get something out of it, right? And they their endorphins go up, like their oxytocin goes up because they have these animals. They are getting a high out of having these animals. So having some form of counseling help um, so that that they have like people with them that can kind of like a support group to be able to share stories and to explain what's happening and then have a counselor to help them work through these things so that they can so they can fulfill the need of caring for animals without having to hoard them whether that be teaching them how to work at a shelter help with you know the taking care of animals, but at the end of the day, you go home and you have your one dog that you take care of and you don't have to be accumulating animals. So I think that hopefully as we learn more about this, we get better and we start finding better help for these individuals because I, I do feel sad. I feel sad for the animals, but I really feel sad for these people because they're, they're seen as evil and they're just sick. And yes. putting you know, putting them in jail, giving them fines and stuff, is not really gonna gonna help the problem. It, it doesn't. It, it was it was never. She, she didn't have the money, but she she money was not a barometer to where she measured situations. So um, it didn't matter how much we find her or how much time she spent in jail. She would just come out and and want to get the comfort of doing the things that she always did it um you know when when people say i can't understand how someone could do that well it's it's because when our minds are functioning on a normal manner from day to day we we can't we can't think like a serial killer or uh, somebody that has an addiction or um it, we just, our brains don't allow us to go there. But like you said, there's, there's trauma that's happened in these people's lives. And um, in tr I, I like the analogy of an addiction because it, it really is. They're not just collecting animals. They collect things. Mm -hmm. There's always things. There was, um, there was one case I was on that they had semi-trailers filled with supplies that got donated to them that weren't they couldn't even begin to go through them and use them. they weren't they weren't using them because they had so many animals so there's there's always the things that are stacked up there also so um you know how do we how do we teach people to to live in a healthy manner yeah and it does and it doesn't happen overnight doesn't. Because they're, the problem didn't start overnight, and it's definitely not going to be taken care of overnight. And a lot of these people that, that are hoarders tend to be middle-aged to elderly women, primarily. Like, men are hoarders as well, can be hoarders. But the vast majority are, like, 50, 60-year-old plus women that are living by themselves. Again, usually have grown children that that see them living in that environment, and they're like, well instead you know they i'm sure that at some point they try to help 
but at some point they figure, no, you're living in filth. I'm not coming back until you get your act together. And they're not going to get their act together because mm-hmm. they need they need help. So it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't get taken care of overnight. So, you know, we need to figure out how to how to better help these people so that mm-hmm. because we're not going to help the animals until we help the people that are that are committing the acts of neglect and cruelty. I know I know a hoarder that, that chose to get divorced rather than um, rein in her number of dogs. Her husband said it's it's near the docks and she chose divorce. And she moved to another county and, and, and the situation escalated. So um, in, in this particular case with 100 Dachshund Terrier mixes, um, her husband was gone and her children became estranged. They, they couldn't come in the house anymore because it was so dirty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she, she was so dirty that um, I mean, she literally was standing in bare feet in, mm-hmm. in puddles of diarrhea. It was, yeah. it was unreal. Um, um, her children would make her take a shower before she could come in their home. Like she had to go straight into the shower and get cleaned up and then she could be with them. But you take a shower, but your clothing is all, it has all the smells on it too from being in that environment so well and and it's so hard to get rid of that smell i mean when whenever we work in a hoarding case we go to these houses and we smell like that yes. like we leave the place our vehicle smells like that we smell like that then we would get in our, our vehicle to get home and we smell it the whole time you take a shower and then you have to take a second and a third shower just to get the smell out of your hair the clothes need to be washed a couple of times to get the smell out of it. And that's after being in there for a few hours. Like when somebody is living in there, that smell is well within. I mean, it, it, there is just no washing that off anytime soon. Can you smell it right now? If we had smell a vision, we would. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, and it stays with you. Like, you know, you start looking at the pictures of the case and the pictures of the house and you know exactly what it smelled like. And it probably smelled worse than what you can imagine, but you can still smell it. You can still smell the ammonia and the, and the feces and, and everything else. And just the, the sight of an elderly person, you know, walking around barefoot and all of that, like it is okay. I mean, clearly that's, a, that's evidence of mental illness. So we have to, eh, we just, we have to do better to, to help these people. So I'm hoping that, you know, with this case, it gives, it gives people a little bit of thought, uh, a little bit of pause to think about what's happening and, and rethink the idea of hoarders as this evil person that's harming animals on purpose, except for the exploiter hoarders. We'll talk about them in another time. Uh, because they they are pretty evil, but rescuer hoarders and overwhelmed caregivers are people that need help. So we need to move forward, get better, help them, help the animals, and then make the community better. So, so, so we could support. We need to support our, our local shelters so that mm-hmm. they understand the steps that they need to take to to enforce those laws and. To, not just enforce, but to respond to the cases. I say enforce because you need to you need to 
file charges in the court. Mm -hmm. So there's a record of it. So that if there's recidivism, that there's a record that this happened before there, there were community reports, rumors, inklings Mm -hmm. that something had been going on for probably 10 years. So I found out about it my, my first year working down there and everybody said, well, what are you going to do? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So um, when I can find something out, I'll, I'll let you know. So then it took, you know, it took another year before I really understood how bad the problem was. So um, we need to, we need to build programs in our local communities where people can come forward there was there were very few people that would actually make a written statement about what they had witnessed mm-hmm. and, she, and and she lived right right in the main drag of a small village i mean right there next to the school and the fire department was across the street i mean she she was in plain view the whole time so we need to bring our communities together and and help people help the people in their communities we need to um, we need to work with our our local prosecutors and judges and educate them, educate our animal law enforcement officers on, on how to do all this. And then we need to we need to keep working to develop the programs to help counsel these people, help them deal with their problems so that they can they can live a mentally healthy life that's enriching. Again, hopefully this has been enlightening to to people. And yeah, see something, do something, <laughs> say something. Uh, because who knows how you know how how much better this could have been for her and for the animals if somebody had done something years and years and years ago when the problem was starting, rather than waiting until the house has to be condemned and a hundred dogs have to be rescued from from this situation. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for spending this time with us and going back on memory lane to, to this case and we'll, we'll see what we can do in the future to make things better. Oh, I hope so. I hope we see some really great things happen in, in the next, let's give us a goal within the next 10 years. Let's see change in our community. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for that's listening and thank you for caring about this. Thank you.